Well, I want to uh, conclude today a message series from the New Testament book of Acts. Uh, our theme has been uh, spirit, mission, and drama. And you certainly see uh, throughout the book of Acts, you see drama. You'll see drama today. Uh, we've seen mission, the church on mission, but also the Holy Spirit at work in the life of, um, of his people. Um, the title of today's message is Unhindered and On." going. There's a little acronym that uh, is uh, fairly well known in managerial circles. It was introduced by the U.S. Army War College called VUCA. V-U-C-A stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, <laughs> ambiguity. It sort of refers to the perfect storm of circumstances when there are so many things that are unknown, or as the Harvard Business uh, Review said, it's just sort of a catch-all phrase for, hey, it is crazy, crazy out there. And we all know what it's like to face some crazy, crazy times that are volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. In fact, if you're taking notes, here's the very first point that I want to make today. You will experience storms, shipwrecks, and snake bites. And you say, Ronnie, what an unusual first point. Well, you're going to see why I made it uh, use that, uh, those, those terms here in, in just a moment. Now, let me put up here on the screen a map. As we conclude the book of Acts, really the last quarter of that book is all about Paul's journey really from Jerusalem to Rome. So let me just very very quickly, Paul had gone, he had finished his third missionary journey. He goes to Rome to deliver some funds to needy believers who were experiencing a famine. While he's there, all chaos breaks loose. He's arrested. He's taken just up the road to Caesarea. If you look at, um, at about the uh, four o'clock point on that map, You'll see Jerusalem and Caesarea. And Caesarea, he's actually imprisoned there for over, over two years, really under house arrest. As a Roman citizen, he makes an appeal. He said, listen, I want to take my case to Rome, stand before Caesar's court, and he will begin a journey by ship from Caesarea to Rome. And there you see Rome up there at about the 11 o'clock point on the map. But at about the 3 o'clock, or the 9 o'clock, I'm sorry, about the 9 o'clock point on that map is uh, the little island of Malta in the middle of nowhere, 18 miles long, 8 miles wide, and Paul on this journey is going to be shipwrecked. Here's how it happens. He boards the ship. There are 275 other people aboard. And Paul's not the only prisoner. There are some other prisoners on there along with soldiers, along with merchants and crew. And along the way, they're caught in a terrible storm that lasts for several days. The Bible says that they had all given up hope, just given up hope of surviving. But the Lord gave Paul a message. And he encouraged everyone on the ship. He said, listen, the Lord has spoken to me. An angel of the Lord has said that, 
not a single person aboard this ship will perish. Not a single one. Not me, not you. However, this ship is going to be lost. It's going to be destroyed. And sure enough, it runs aground on the island of Malta on a sandbar on the island's northeastern coast at what is today is called St. Paul's Bay. And when the ship runs aground, it begins to break up. And those who could swim would swim for shore. Those who couldn't swim would hang on to something. But all 276 prisoners made it to Malta. By the way, after our first service, Juan Craig, many of you know Juan, came up to me and he said, Ronnie, I've been to Malta. He said, I was on a U.S. military boat during the Six-Day War of 1967 between Egypt and Israel. And our ship was torpedoed. And actually, actually we made it to Malta where our ship was, um, was, uh, was tended to there at, at Malta. Well, so Paul and his crew, they're safe on the small island of Malta. Now what's going to happen? Acts chapter 28, verse 1, we pick it up. Once safely on shore we found out that the island was called Malta. And the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Let me stop there for a moment and make just a simple little point that really doesn't come from, from the text. It's what, what the Bible's teaching. It's more of allegorical. But it was taught to me 40 years ago by a, a university professor professor, Dr. William Woodson, who was chairman of the Bible department at Freed Hardeman University. And we were walking through Acts 28 one day, and he says, you see what's happening here? Where Paul and his friends, it's cold, it's raining, they're outside, and they are warming themselves by a fire. And we go, what's the point? And he continued, he said, they are warming themselves by a fire they did not build. And he said, young men and women, let me just remind you not to be arrogant, to be full of thanksgiving, because trust me, in your lifetime, you've warmed yourselves by many fires you did not build. Somebody came before you and built that fire. Someone around you helped start that school. Someone around you, through their generosity, they made that camp happen. And we all have been in a situation where we have been blessed, right, by fires and tools that other people started and have built. So anyway, well, Paul gathers a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. I don't even like reading this. I am not a fan of snakes. And, you know, there are people who just love snakes. That might be you. I do not understand you for the life of me, how you could like a snake. I despise snakes. Poisonous snakes, don't like them. Non-poisonous snakes, don't like them. Rubber snakes, don't like them. Don't want to have anything to do with them. And just reading this sort of gives me the willies. You know, Paul, this viper comes out of the fire, fastens itself on Paul's hand, and when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, this guy must be a murderer. 
For even though he's escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. In other words, they operated by a sense of justice, right and wrong. You do wrong, you got to pay for the crime. And so they're looking at this guy, Paul, and, and here's what they're thinking. He survived the storm. He survived the shipwreck. <laughs> but the goddess of justice is not going to allow him to get by. He must be a murderer. That, therefore, he's snake bitten. By the way, sometimes we'll even use that little phrase that comes from this story in the Bible. You've heard somebody say, that guy's just snake bit. In other words, trouble finds him. Trouble finds her. He finds trouble. She find, can they not get a break? In your lifetime, I'm sorry, you're going to face some storms. And storms, unfortunately, can create detours. In your lifetime, you're also going to face some shipwrecks. You're going to have some dreams and plans that are broken. And you're going to have to simply pick up some pieces and move forward. And then there will be times you might be snake bit. You might think, can I not catch a break this year? Well, Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Now, the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said it was a god. <laughs> they just said he was a murderer. Now they said he was a god. How fickle can you be? Aren't you thankful the Apostle Paul and strong believers all around us are not driven by public opinion polls? They called him a murderer. Then they called him a god. Let me urge you not to be an approval addict. Was Paul a murderer? No. Was he a god? No. Just a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, that basketball coach John Wooden once said, you can't let praise get to you, and you can't let criticism get to you. It's a weakness to get caught up in either one. And one wise person has said, if you live for people's approval, then you will die from their rejection. Be wary of approval addiction. So, they're shipwrecked, they're stranded here on Malta, but they're going to get to Rome. And let me just remind you, God will get you where you need to be as well. God's going to get Paul to Rome. To, to Rome. He said he would, and he will keep that promise. Now, why in the world does Paul need to get to Rome? One, to vindicate himself. He's been accused of being a criminal, a rebel, and he wants to get there to give out his testimony because what he is preaching is both true and reasonable. You say, well, why doesn't God just get Paul to Rome the easy way? Why go through imprisonment, storms, a shipwreck, a snake bite? I don't know. Maybe to teach Paul to trust God. Maybe to show Paul that even though he's weak, God is strong. Maybe it allows other people to partner and pray with Paul. Maybe so that 275 other people aboard that ship could see the hand and the strength of God. 
I don't know all the reasons why, but God will get you where you need to be. And you know what? Right now, you are right where you need to be. Sometimes somebody might say, well, what? why am I in Fort Bend County? How did I end up here? And I'm not sure I necessarily want to stay here. Well, as long as you're here, I urge you to be here on purpose. And all along your journey, do what Paul did, which was along the way, just keep bearing witness to Christ. Because trust me, there are people all around you who need spiritual encouragement for their soul. You may wonder why God has you here, but listen, you will never be anywhere where the Holy Spirit cannot find you and nurture your own soul. And you will never be anywhere where God cannot use you. He can use you anywhere. The God gets you where you need to be. And by the way, you know, if you ever have a chance to go to Rome, it's a great place. But let me tell you, there's some place better where God's promised to take you. He's promised to take you to heaven. He's promised to take you to heaven, and that's a promise he'll keep. You keep walking with him, walking by faith. He's going to get you there. Along the way, listen, <laughs> there's no such thing as a pros uh, prosperity gospel. You, you may have some detours along the way. You may have some shipwrecks along the way. You may have a snake bite or two along the way. And, uh, but you'll get there. You won't always be healthy. You won't always be wealthy. Things won't always be golden. But he'll keep his promise and he'll get you there. And one other thing here, God will grow you by what you go through. He just will. When you're stuck on Malta and you say, this is the last place I want to be. <laughs> when you've gone through a storm and a shipwreck or a snake bite and you say, this is the last thing I wanted to go through. It becomes a pulpit. It becomes an opportunity. Because God will never allow you to be and experience something where he cannot use you. Well, so now they're going to. Make the journey towards Rome. It's going to be 210 miles from Malta to Rome. And here's the second thing I want you to write down. You are part of an unhindered and ongoing story. You're a part of an unhindered and ongoing story. So the Apostle Paul makes it to Rome. And here's how the book of Acts ends. It ends in such an open-ended way. Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. So for two whole years, Paul stayed there, where? In Rome, in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. Isn't that fantastic? And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did so with boldness, and notice this, and without hindrance. In fact, the very last word in the Greek text in the book of Acts is the word akaludos, which simply means unhindered. What happened to Paul? Well, the book of Acts says, well, Paul's not going to live forever, but the kingdom of God is. 
And what's, what you need to know is that you're part of a mission. You're part of a message. You're part of a kingdom. You're part of a movement. You're part of a of, of church life that does not have an expiration date on it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be regularly criticized and opposed, but it will never be silenced. This is the unstoppable work of God. It's unhindered. It's ongoing. And the book of Acts wants you to know that wherever you are, you're part of a movement that has God's hand upon it and God's spirit within it. And by the way, while Paul is under house arrest here, you know, he can't go out, (laughs) but the audience comes to him. The listeners come to him. God provides a way, provides opportunities. And did you know that even some members of Caesar's own household became Christians? I'm talking about Nero Caesar. You read the end of the book of Philippians, and at the end of the book of Philippians, Paul will say this. He'll say, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints here greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Converts from Nero's household? Absolutely. Paul is influencing the influencers. What happened to Paul? Well, there are some bits and pieces from uh, other sections of Scripture, and then there's some tradition. Here's what I think happened to Paul. He's there for two years, And after two years, he'll be released. And he'll be free again. He'll go right back into ministry. And Paul, Timothy, and Titus will go to the island of Crete. Titus will be left on Crete to do ministry. Paul and Timothy will move on to Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. He'll leave Timothy there in Ephesus to do ministry. Paul will then go to Macedonia, and then I believe he will even go westward into Spain, which is something he wanted to do, and he'll get there. But about four years after the end of the book of Acts, intense persecution will break out against believers. Paul will be rearrested along with the apostle Peter, and they will both be executed in Rome. Peter will be crucified upside down. The Apostle Paul will be beheaded, tradition says, on the Ostian Way at the three-mile marker. But he finished well. And on the day of his death, he was never more alive. And that's true of you. Here's a third thing I want to say as we wind this up here. Your aim also is to finish well. Your aim is to finish well. And my friends, that's, that's not the easiest thing to do. Um, Saul in the Old Testament didn't really finish well. Solomon didn't really fin- finish well. Judas Iscariot didn't really finish well. And you can think of some other examples maybe in your own life didn't really finish well. Sometimes people will ask me, Ronnie, how can I pray for you? You can also always pray for wisdom. You can pray also that I would finish well. But here's what I mean and what I don't mean. 
By finishing well, I do not mean that you finish without pain or sorrows or disappointments or setbacks. Again, away with this prosperity gospel mindset. Finishing well means you finish well spiritually. You're loving the Lord. You're honoring the Bible, seeking to obey the Lord. You're loving God's people. You're seeking to be active and serving and making a difference as much as possible. And really, the only way that happens is by the grace and the mercy and the energy of God. But we can help Him. We can partner. Let me get real practical here. How can you finish well? How can I finish well? First of all, stay rooted. Stay rooted in the Word of God. It is a light to your pathway. It is a lamp to your steps. Always illuminating the potholes, the landmines, the danger points, but also illuminating hope and mercy and the encouragement that the Lord wants to bring to your soul. Secondly, stay connected with God's people. Stay connected with the body of Christ, the church, because we all need redemptive assistance from outside of ourselves. I encourage you, keep giving and receiving. Keep extending and embracing. Keep loving and being loved. And thirdly, stay keenly aware of the consequences of your choices. This is something that people who want to finish well, they never, ever forget. You keep conducting an if survey. You know what an if survey is, don't you? If I do this, what will be the consequence? What will it cost me? What might it cost my family? What might it cost the name of Christ? And, you know, as you age, maybe you get several wins under your belt. You might start to think you're a big shot. Pride comes before fall, and the bigger they are, the harder they fall. So you don't overestimate yourself. You confront your own weaknesses. You know, Dwight Eisenhower was the first president to be baptized while in office. And he talked about his own character. And he said, I had to confront my own weaknesses, and I had several. He said, but I had to confront my primary weakness, which was my anger. And he, he said, I started doing silly things with the Lord's help to try to get a grip on it. He said he, he took out little index cards, and he would write down the names of people he intensely disliked. And then he would take those cards, and he would tear them up and put them in the wastebasket. And he said, I had to confront myself and make myself stronger in my weakest place. Stay, stay rooted in the Word of God connected with God's people, aware of consequences. Your choices matter. Keep acting, keep active and serving as you're able to do so with health, uh, with your health. And last of all, you keep leaning into God's grace. You know, just like we were singing about and praising God today, when you praise, you're in a healthy place. And keep championing the wonderful mercy and grace of God. And let me tell you, some of you listening right now in the room or online 
here's what you're thinking. Ronnie, it's too late for me to finish well. You don't know that chapter in my life. I'm always going to be remembered as 1974 or 1981 or 2003. I've already initiated too many ugly things. I've damaged too many people. It's too late for me. And you're just wrong. Jesus told about a runaway son who looked at his father and said, I wish you were already dead. Just give me my inheritance. And with such an ugly spirit, he insulted his home and he ran away. He was a big shot and he fell, ends up in a pig pen according to the Jesus story and he humbles himself and decides, I think I'll just go back and ask my dad if I can be an employee. You remember the story, he goes home and the father runs to meet him and he says, I don't want you back as an employee, I want you back as my son. What that boy did was not good, but it was not fatal either. He disgraced the father, but he came home, and it's not, it wasn't too late for him. It's not too late for you either. You be restored. You apologize. You return to a Christ-centered lifestyle from this point on. From this point on. And you'll finish well. We're going to spend just a few moments in prayer. Let me ask our elder couples who will be receiving those coming for prayer, please be making your way down front. And as you're doing so, I want to say just one more word. Keep giving me your attention, please. You know, the story of Acts, it's really still being written. It's still being written. Uh, the book of Acts has 28 chapters in it, but as, uh, as many people have said, we are Acts 29. We're the 29th chapter of Acts. We're, it's, it's still happening. The Holy Spirit is still doing His work, and wherever God's people gather and assemble, wherever the Word of God is preached and taught, wherever believers fellowship with one another, wherever communion is celebrated, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed and believed, Acts 29 is still ongoing. And um, that's true here, right here in Fort Bend County. But it's also true in Nepal, in the Honduras, in Haiti, in Colombia, in Uganda. And we have been commissioned to be Christ's witnesses right here. And remember, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. So this is our day. This is our opportunity to live for Jesus, to honor him, to build his church, to proclaim the gospel. What a great privilege.